having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. I was, uh, I, I talked before, and, I, and I've told this story before, but I was a chaplain in the jail for many years, and I would escort different church groups in while they conducted their services. And I stayed in the service in case there was a problem, you know, with inmates or, or whatever. I would stay there during their teaching. And one of the groups that came in would commonly lead the room in the sinner's prayer. And this is as close as I can quote what the man would say having just led the room full of men in the sinner's prayer and then telling them, I know that you are wife beaters, addicts, thieves, rapists, child molesters, murderers, and I know that you will all continue to beat your wives, use drugs, steal, rape, abuse children, and kill. But now you know with 100% certainty you're going to heaven. Blood almost came out of my mouth hearing these words from people telling people that you can continue in your sin and you know you're going to heaven. That's not found on the pages of my Bible anywhere. That's deception. A question, who is it that doesn't want us Christians to have power? Jackie and I um, used to have a church service at 6 o'clock Sunday night. And after service, a lot of times Jackie and I would head out to Applebee's in Elkhart. And I would listen to um, preaching on the radio on the way out. And one night, I'm listening as we're driving to Applebee's, and the preacher on the radio says this, that in the book of Acts, there is nothing worth having doctrine over. There is no doctrine to be found in the book of Acts. And in fact, the book of Acts is given to us as a stumbling block for our faith. This is a preacher saying this on the radio, and this is... Much of Christianity would rather just skip over the book of Acts. It's, it's, it's in, uncomfortable to them because they don't believe in the power of the Holy Ghost. I was in college um, and took a speech class. It, my, my, uh, a little bit of my history, okay. I, I was an atheist until I was 45 years old, 20, in 2000, okay, 24 years ago. I was converted from my atheism. I, I married a, a Christian lady who prayed for me for 10 years. Jackie and I were invited to church. Um, in Elkhart. I, I had had heart surgery in May of 2000. And I was the captain of a pool team, and my best player had quit the team a few months before. He had a problem with drinking and stuff, had to, and so he quit and, and started going back to church. He started going back to church. And he and his mom invited Jackie and I to church after my heart surgery. And the church had been praying for me, and all I went that Sunday for, I was a non-believer, the only reason I went to church that Sunday was to say thank you for the church's prayers. I didn't understand why a group of people who didn't know me would take time out of their days to pray for me. So I just went to this church only to say thank you. 
I, I'd been to churches throughout my life as an atheist for different, different reasons. I, one, one thing that comes to my mind, um, I was in college and uh, took a speech class, and it was a, we had a, were paired up with uh, partners, and I was paired up with a, a, a young black lady, and we decided that our theme of our speech was going to be we were going to visit different churches. And just, it wasn't a doctrinal thing. We were just going to do our speech on our impressions of the, the church services. So we chose, she attended um, Ebenezer Baptist in, in South Bend. Uh, the closest church I had was one my dad did, um, went to. It was a Unitarian Universalist church in Elkhart. Literally, you could be a devil worshiper, an atheist, go there, and no problem at all. There was no belief requirements at all. Anyway, but we went to several. We went to Church of the Christ Scientists. One, uh, just relate to this, one, we, we, we went to a Muslim um, synagogue or temple, I guess you'd call it, over on the west side of South Bend. Um, we got there on 9 o'clock on a Saturday morning. Their church started, okay? At 4 o'clock in the afternoon, we're still at church. We're bowing and coming up and down and all this other stuff. For seven hours, we were, we were in the church, and then they dismissed at 4 o'clock to have a meal at 5 o'clock. Um, and this was their Saturday routine. So I say that just when pastor goes 15 minutes long, just think about what, you know, what, what, he's not going until 4 o'clock in the afternoon, right? Um, and would we stand for it if he did? But that's another story. But the point is, that I went into this little apostolic church in Elkhart, and I had been to Christian churches before. I, I Nazarene and Baptist and Presbyterian and Methodist, and I'd never been to a spirit-filled church before. Sometimes I think we can become accustomed to what we have here. But there's power here, right, that I had never felt before in my life. There's power here. Right? The people that walk through these doors feel. It's not just in the preaching. It's not just in the worship. It's in the people, the love of the people that attend here. Right? The sincerity and love. Right? The, the lack of self-righteousness and condemnation. Right? And judgment. Right? We, this is a church of love. Right? This is a church of love. There's power here. We attended that, that church service, and um, like I said, Jack had been praying for me for 10 years. And after the church service, I asked her, darling, I said, do you want to go back to the church service tonight? And I think her, her mouth about hit the pew head of, she was like in shock, you know. She saw no hope. There was no hope. And I gave no indication that my shell was ready to crack. But I felt the power. And I was hungry for what you all had. I wanted what you all had. What you all have is power. Salvation is transformational. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, 
acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I spent the first 45 years of my life as an atheist. I knew there was no God. I was an evangelical atheist. I loved to debate Christians. I, I had Jehovah Witnesses show up at my house at noon on Saturday, and they asked to leave at 7 o'clock at night. I was still talking. I tried to damage Christians' faith. I, my biblical knowledge wasn't very deep, but I felt I knew troubling questions that I could ask that many Christians had trouble answering. I wasn't dealing with spirit-filled Christians. I was as a grade school student, having just mastered the multiplication tables and declaring calculus to be completely false without foundation. I felt the Bible was a collection of fables. I thought myself superior to Christians because I did good altruistically without any expectation of reward, whereas Christians, I felt, did good with only the expectation of gaining heaven. In roughly 90 days from the middle of June 2000 onward, I was given a new mind. Again, I was 45 years old. I was no kid. My opinions on homosexuality, abortion, sex outside marriage, my political beliefs, and on and on, completely changed. I can still see in my mind my old ways of thinking, like old dusty cobwebs wafting in the breeze. My old ways of thinking are still there. My old logic and justification are still there. But now completely surpassed by a new way of thinking. The transformation continues even today. In many ways, I fall short of Christ and being Christ-like. I have been given victories I don't fight the same battles I fought 24 years ago, but I still fight. The Bible's about transformation. I thought, in reading this, on the pages of the Bible, we sometimes may overlook some transformations that took place even within the apostles. The transformation of Saul, Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 9. And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughters against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. 
And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise, and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. And the men which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. And Saul arose from the earth, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no man. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, and neither did eat nor drink. Just two chapters prior in Acts, before Saul had assisted, before Saul had insisted in and acquiesced to the stoning of Stephen. Acts chapter 7, verses 51 through 60. Ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart, this is Stephen speaking, you do always resist the Holy Ghost as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? And they have slain them which showed before of the coming of the just one, of whom you have been now the betrayers and murderers, who have received the law by the disposition of angels and have not kept it. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed upon him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord and cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses lay down their clothes at a young man's feet, whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Acts chapter 8, 1 through 3. And Saul was consenting unto his, his death. And at the time, there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of, of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul... He made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing men and women and committing them to prison. Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 3. And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. The journey from Jerusalem, where the stoning of Stephen occurred, to Damascus, 
is about 168 miles. No small trip. Apparently, we don't have any indication of anything else. Saul made that trip by foot with some friends. It would have taken Saul one to two weeks to walk from Jerusalem to Damascus. Saul was nothing if not a devout man. But taking part in close proximity to the brutal stoning of Stephen had to have an effect upon him. What were Saul's thoughts as he trudged along that long road? Stoning is unbelievable. I mean, the crowd of people gathered around and picking up softball-sized rocks and chucking them and destroying the person. I mean, their head, their face, gone. I mean, it's, it's a... And Saul, sitting, watching that, as devout, as zealous, as hard as his heart might have been, walking for two weeks toward Damascus, thinking about that stoning every step of the way. I've never walked 168 miles, but I've walked long marches in the military. And there's nothing to do, one foot in front of another, but just your thoughts. That's what Saul had for two weeks, right? A week to two to think about on his road to Damascus. To me, the stoning of Stephen was key to the salvation of Paul. Stephen's final words, praying for those who are killing him, Could the first crack in Saul's shell of his persecution of the church been Stephen's powerful testimony? Few could could be so hard-hearted as to not be affected by Stephen's stoning. Ananias, fearful for his life because of Saul's fearsome reputation, but obedient to God. Acts chapter 9, verses 17 and 18. And Ananias went his way and entered into the house, putting his hands upon him, said, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, that appeared to thee in the way as thou camest, hath sent me, that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. And immediately there fell from his eyes as it had been scales, And he received sight forthwith and arose and was baptized. The transformation of Saul from his utter persecution of the church to now an apostle called by God. There was no looking back for Saul. His transformation The renewing of his mind was complete. Acts chapter 9, verses 19 through 22. And when he had received meat, he was strengthened. Then was Saul certain days with the disciples which were at Damascus. And straightway he preached Christ in the synagogues, that he is the Son of God. 
But all that heard him were amazed and said, Is not this he that destroyed them which called upon his name in Jerusalem and came hither for that intent that he might bring them bound unto the chief priests? But Saul increased the more in strength and confounded the Jews which dwelt at Damascus, proving that this is very Christ. What a testimony. What a testimony. What power. Saul had in his testimony. The next, um, the next apostle I'd like to look at, who is also transformed, maybe in a different way than you might think, but I want to speak on the transformation of Peter. Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 22. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And he said unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they straightway left their nets and followed him. And going on from thence, he saw two other brethren, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in a ship with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them and immediately left their ship and their father and followed him. Peter was a man of hard labor. Fishing in the Sea of Galilee was rough, strenuous, dirty work. From the very first, a man they do not know says to them, follow me. And they abandon their boat, their family business, and even their father, and leave with Jesus. Matthew chapter 14, verses 25 through 31. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit. And they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And Peter answered them and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. There were eleven other disciples in the boat. Peter Peter speaks up. And he says, Come. Then Peter was come down out of the ship, And he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand, caught him, and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? Jesus opens his mouth and talks before he thinks so many times. He just is so impulsive. Again and again, he he says things that somehow tend to get him in trouble. Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 16. When Jesus came unto the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I am? Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? 
And they said, some say thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, others Jeremiah, or one of the process. He saith unto them, but whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. This had to be on all the disciples' mind, but only Peter had the moxie to blurt out that Jesus was he whom the Jews had been waiting for for such a long time recounted immediately after being praised by Jesus for recognizing him as the Messiah, Matthew 16, verses 21 through 23. From that time forth, began Jesus to show his disciples how he must go into Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. But he turned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense to me, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. What a smackdown from Jesus. Hard to imagine the sting of Jesus' words. Get thee behind me, Satan. I, I would want to find a rock to crawl under after the Lord. You know. Again, Peter opens his mouth and just he has no censor. Just the first thing out, he blurts. Matthew chapter 17, verses 1 through 5. And after six days, Jesus taketh Peter, James, And John, his brother, and bringeth them unto a high mountain apart, and was transfigured before them, and his face did shine as the sun, his raiment was white as the light. And behold, there appeared unto them Moses and Elias, talking with him. Then answered Peter, O Peter, and said unto Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here, if thou wilt. Let us make here three tabernacles, one for thee, one for Moses, one for Elias. And while he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And behold, a voice out of the cloud which said, This is my beloved son, whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. Impulsive Peter, putting Jesus on an even par with Moses and Elias. When God spoke out of the cloud identifying Jesus as his beloved son above Moses and Elias. But again, Peter misunderstands. He just takes the first thing he sees and converts it into words. Matthew chapter 18, verse 21 through 22. Then Peter came to him and said, Lord... How often shall my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? Till seven times? And Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. Unlimited times. Uncountable times. Peter, what's the minimum I can get by with to forgive my brother? (laughs) Jesus said, you keep forgiven until you run out of numbers to count with. Matthew chapter 19, verses 24 through 27. 
And again I say unto you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And when his disciples heard it, they were exceeding amazed, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus beheld them and said unto them, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Then answered Peter and said unto him, Behold, we have forsaken all and followed thee. What shall we have therefore? What's my reward going to be, Lord? What will I get out of this? What's in it for me? I, I this this next verse just just struck me, and I'm just going to pause here just for a minute. This is immediately after the Last Supper, and I, and I wrote a little little blurb on it on Facebook a couple of days ago when I read this, but. Matthew chapter 26, and I'm just going to stop here at verse 30 for a moment. This is after the Last Supper. And it says, when they had sung a hymn, they went out into the Mount of Olives. I'm just, my mind's eye, having supper with Jesus, having him wash my feet, and then singing a, singing a hymn. Jesus, my closest friends, we gather together and sing a hymn with Jesus. Oh, it just gives me goosebumps, that thought, the intimacy of that thought. I never heard, never recognized that verse, that they sat and sang a hymn with Jesus before they went to the Garden of Gethsemane. What did they sing? What was Jesus' voice like? The voice is lifted up with God, singing together before he goes to his passion. Matthew 26, verses 30 through 35. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out unto the Mount of Olives. Then saith Jesus unto them, All ye shall be offended because of me this night, for it is written, I will smite the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered abroad. But after I am risen again, I will go before you into Galilee. Peter answered and said unto him, Though all men be offended because of thee, yet will I never be offended. Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, that this night before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. Peter said unto him, Though I should die with thee, yet will I not deny thee. Likewise said all the disciples. So sure of himself, so certain of his own steadfastness and willingness to die before denying Jesus, so quickly proven to be utterly wrong. John chapter 13, verses 6 through 9. Then cometh he to Simon Peter, and Peter said unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? But Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. Peter saith unto him, 
Thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. (laughs) You can just see him. Simon Peter saith unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but my my hands and my head. (laughs) It's always brash, outspoken. Peter, with little or no governor on his tongue, Seemingly always putting his foot in his mouth. But after the Holy Spirit of God fell on the day of Pentecost, they gathered in the upper room. They didn't know what was coming. They didn't know what was happening. They had no clue. They were told to gather and wait and pray. They had no idea. Pastor asked me two weeks ago to preach, right? I've had two weeks. Acts chapter 2. The Holy Ghost fell. And Peter opens his mouth and starts talking. Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea, and all ye that dwell in Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken unto my words, For these are not drunken, as you suppose. Seeing it is but the third hour of the day. But this is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God. I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. This was new. He had no forewarning of this taking place. This is Peter who can't say anything without putting his foot in his mouth. Is suddenly preaching a preach word that adds 3,000 to the church that day. I will pour my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaidens, I will pour out in those days all my spirit, and they shall prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven above, and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor and smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, and the moon into blood before that great and notable day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves know, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, you have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that she she should be holden of it. For David speaketh concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my faith, for he is on my right hand that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice, and my tongue was glad. More forever my flesh also shall rest in hope, because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell. Neither wilt thou suffer the Holy One to see corruption." Thou hast made known to me the ways of life. Thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance. Men and brethren, let me speak freely unto you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his sepulchre is with us unto this day. Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn an oath to him, 
that the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to his throne. He, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we are all witnesses. Therefore, being by the right hand of God, and having received the Father of the promise of the Holy Ghost, he hath shed forth this, which ye now see and hear. For David is not ascended unto heavens, but he saith, The Lord said unto my Lord, Therefore sit on my right hand until I make thy fool foe's footstool. Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made the same Jesus, whom you have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost for the promises unto you and unto your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as our Lord God shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day were added unto them 3,000 souls. The same Peter that couldn't say anything without confounding Jesus' purposes stuff preached a magnificent outline of what was going on on the spur of the moment given to him by the Holy Ghost of God. The transformation of Peter was complete. He went on to preach to the house of Cornelius and lead us, the Gentiles, into salvation. Transformation. This is all about transformation. And it's just not transformation of the apostles. It's not just transformation of me. Psalm 1. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And it shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, that bring forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither. Whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. Christians aren't to be like weeds that spring up and grow for a short season. A tree has only two states. It's either growing or it's dying. There's no point where a tree just says, well, I'm high enough, I'm thick enough, I stop. A tree continues to grow every day of its life. And that's what we are to be also. Trees planted by rivers of water. The day a tree stops growing is the day it begins to die. A tree's branches ever reach higher into the sky. A tree's roots ever delve more deeply and further afield, seeking nutrients and stability from the earth where it is planted. James 4, 7. 4, 7 through 10. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh unto God, and he will draw nigh unto you. 
never give up. Never steep seeking ever deeper relationship with God. Never be satisfied with where you've come from. Don't turn your attention back to how far you've come. Always be looking forward to how far we have yet to go. Thus we are to be. Our fire, our passion, our hunger for God can never allow to wane. We must strive to grow ever closer. Never be satisfied. Always hungry for more change, more transformation. More like you, my God. More like you. I love you, my God. Hear us, my God. Help us, my God. Thank you, my Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm thankful for that word today. I'm thankful because Peter kept opening up his mouth full of faith, getting excited for the next thing, and he would fail. But you know what he did? He opened his mouth full of faith and tried again. So many times, that's, that's where a lot of us fall short in our transformation is, is that it doesn't work out the way we thought the first time. We thought, whoops, I should probably just be quiet and mind my own business. But Peter kept saying, no, I've got, God's got more for